you look at a woman uh, whose name in the Bible is called a woman. And that's all scripture says. That's her name, a woman. Scripture doesn't include her name, but you'll remember her after today. And many of us probably have read through scriptures and realized who this woman is. It was a woman who was on the outskirts of society. And she had been there for a very, very long time. She was at the end of her ropes, and we're going to see the perseverance that she's willing to demonstrate so that she can get to Jesus. We're going to see that when she encounters Christ, that it's unusual grace that's extended to her. We're going to see a woman that thought that it was over. We're going to see a woman that, that Scripture doesn't give a name that's completely hopeless, You and I know these kind of women. We know these kind of men. We know these kind of people. And they're ostracized from society. Or we put them on islands all by themselves. Because we have formed opinions. We've made assumptions. We categorize. And we believe in our mind that by putting them out there by themselves, that that they belong there. And so we've made this list of rules. We have categories, characteristics. We give lengths of time that as long as they they stay there for this long period, then it's okay. Every Christmas, there's a a Christmas story that comes on television. And I watched it when I was a young kid. And you watched it too. And it was about a cute little reindeer. And, you know, when I look at this, I see supper and lunch. (laughs) And you see something else. Um. But there's a story about Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer. And there's more to this story than probably you've really, really realized. Story has Rudolph, who is an outcast, who has a, a, a red nose that sticks out and he doesn't fit in. He, he just doesn't. Rudolph doesn't fit in. And so he himself, or the deer himself, feels ostracized, feels like it's not worthy, feels like it doesn't belong. And then there's this island of misfits that Rudolph finds himself on. It's this island full of toys that every year stays on this island because no kid wants to love a toy that's damaged, that has a defect to it. And so it's the island of misfit toys. And so every year these toys are hoping beyond hope that somehow someone will love them and take them into their home. I want to show you a few of these toys that are found on this island. There's one toy, a doll called a dolly for Sue. And the metaphor that's used for dolly is that she is a doll baby that's depressed or lonely. She is unloved. So every year Christmas comes and Dolly for Sue gets left on the island of misfit toys because she was abandoned. Maybe you know someone like Dolly. Maybe you know someone where their father left them. Maybe you are that person where you have been in foster care and you have been rejected. Maybe you had tried to find your way through life. Maybe you feel like Dolly. Maybe you know someone like this who stands in the back of the room unloved, often depressed, and feeling damaged because they were never loved by their family. And so on this island of misfits is this doll called a dolly for Sue that just longs to be loved. Yet Christmas after Christmas, it remains on this island. 
There's another toy that's on this island and another animal or toy that's called the bird fish. It's a bird that swims instead of flies. It has a defect to it. It, along with many other toys on this island, has, has a metaphor. This would be considered a dysfunctional bird because it's not capable of jumping in with all the other birds and flying away. So it remains on this island unloved, feeling like a misfit because it's a bird that swims instead of flying. It's not able to do what it's expected of him. It might be the D student in school. It might be the special education person that you know. It doesn't belong in any group because it's just different than the rest because it comes from a dysfunctional family. And we categorize, oh, they're from that family, so... You can expect that from then. And so we see them all through society. We've categorized them. We've pushed them away because they're misfit. They come from a dysfunctional family. All they want is to be loved. Another toy on this island is the trainer. And the trainer, if you'll notice, has round wheels on the front and square wheels on the back. It's awkward This toy isn't capable of doing what the rest of the trains can do. Smoothly operate on the tracks. It wobbles, it moves. It's not able to do what the other trains are able to do. It's different. It's awkward. You know people like this. It's it's the person in school that never gets picked on a team because it has no athletic skills. It's the person that doesn't perform in a musical because they can't sing. It's the kid that never gets picked. It's the person that doesn't fit in because it doesn't have the skill set for whatever it's supposed to do. It's just, or he or she is just awkward. So year after year, trainer remains on the island of misfits because it has square wheels. Then on this island is another toy, the spotted elephant. And if you go and watch this movie, you'll see a variety of toys. And there's this elephant that has spots. Elephants don't have spots. And so it's not loved or wanted because its appearance is different than the rest of the elephants. It's truly a misfit elephant. We know people like this. And, and maybe it's, we, we push them away because of color, because of race, because of IQ, or even because of lower income, because they don't wear the cool clothes, or they don't wear their heads tilted to the hats to the side, or flip them around on the back. They don't have the flat bill. They don't have what we perceive as necessary. And so day after day goes by, and they're judged on their looks, and they have a bad self-image, and they're on the edges of society, just longing to be loved. And every year on Miss Fidelin. The spotted elephant remains because no kid wants a spotted elephant. And then one other toy among many on the island is Charlie in the box, which we know as Jack in the box. Charlie in the box doesn't find himself in the home of a child because of its name. He's supposed to be called Jack in the box, but he's called Charlie in the box. He's a misfit because of his name. Maybe his name has a bad reputation. And so you don't hang out with that 
name or that family because he comes and she comes from the family that has the druggy mom or the alcoholic father or the parent that's a felon. And so you don't want to be around that family. That name has a bad reputation. It's the person in school that has a sketchy reputation. And so you stay away, you push him away instead of getting to know them. And meanwhile, every Christmas, this Charlie in the box gets left on the island longing to be loved. We probably all know one or two or three or four of these kinds of people. They're all judged from their past. We know them. And right now we can probably think of a few names. Maybe, just maybe, you've been this person at one time or another. And you felt the looks. You felt the judgment. And you wondered, will I ever be perceived as someone else? Today, we find a woman who was a misfit, who lived on the island of misfits, longing to be loved, willing even to risk her life for just one touch, holding on to a string of hope, the last piece of the rope, thinking that this is my last chance to be loved, hoping beyond hope that someone will extend her grace and notice her. Grab your Bibles. We're going to take a look at this woman today and turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. You need a Bible? Please place your hand up. Take this Bible and turn to Mark chapter 5. If you don't own a Bible, take this Bible home. It's our gift from Grace Community Church. Please turn there. Open your iPads. Open your smartphones and and turn to Mark chapter 5. And we're going to read verse 21 to 24. Matthew, Mark. Stand with me and we'll read it together. We'll read 21 through 25. Mark 5 verses 21 to 25. Let's read it. Ready? Read. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Let's read 25 again. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. You may have a seat. Right away we see this. Jesus is on this journey. He's going to heal Jairus' daughter. He has it in his his smartphone. He has it on his calendar. This is where he's supposed to go. He knows this time, this day, this is his appointment. He's on his way. And while he's on his way, he gets interrupted and distracted possibly by this other woman who walks into his life, we're going to see, and could be a distraction. She is also on a journey trying to find grace, trying to find love, trying to find someone that will give her a chance. So you have these two people headed in different directions. Finally, the lady is going to catch up, but Jesus has this to take care of. Yet this interruption comes. You know, 
as I was reading that again this week and thinking through this message, how often do we miss these divine appointments because we are headed this way or headed that way and we got to get there and someone comes in and says, hey, well, I don't have time for you. What if Jesus, we read the next verse, and Jesus didn't have time for her because he knew this about her, because she was one of them, because she wasn't worthy of stopping and talking to her, because, because, because. Often these interruptions become distractions and we are put off by them instead of saying, maybe God wants me to interact with this person. Yesterday, as I was processing all this, this week I spent time at Momentum Youth Conference, a tremendous youth conference in, in, in our country, where our teens spent time also. 2,000 people there gathered from churches all across America, and, and I had a chance to speak there, and, and Pastor Jeremy and, and many of our link band led worship there this week. And while I was there, I had often awesome opportunities to share with a lot of the teens. On the way home, Ann and I are leaving yesterday. We're coming from Indiana Wesleyan University, it happened to be at this year. We're going up north on 15, we're tired. A lot of late nights and early mornings, and pouring into young teenagers, loving every second of it, by the way. And so as we're leaving town, we're heading north, and we're excited about getting home, and I'm starting to process my next message, which is this one here. And as I'm driving away, thinking, man, an hour and a half up the road, I'll be home, we'll be able to you know, process this. I'm wanting to get to New Paris. I'm on my way, and as we're driving north, I notice this car on the left of the road going south was off of the side of the road with its hood up. In front of this car was this very, very large black man, and there was smoke coming out of his car. Immediately I knew, Jim, you could go home, or you could see this person as a distraction and go home, or you could minister to them. And I was checked in my heart, and the Spirit said, see if you can help this guy out. So I pulled off the road. It's very tight there. He was off on the left side. I was off on the right. Cars were going north. Cars were coming south. And I wound down my window, and I yelled across 15, hey, dude, what's going on? Can I help you? He says, I need some water for my vehicle. So Ann and I looked quickly, and we had half a bottle of water, another bottle of water. I could have said, we don't have any water. Hey, hope it's a good day for you. Drive away. So I said, I don't have any water, but hey, let me turn around. So we went up north about a half a mile, turned, did a U-turn on 15, came down and pulled in behind me. Ann tells me later, she says, Jim, while you got out of the car, I was praying, God, I pray this isn't a setup. I pray for your safety. I was thinking, I'm just going to help this guy. I'm glad I have a praying wife. Anyhow, I walked out and walked down the road to this gentleman, and, and I said to him, I said, hey, dude, what's your name? He said, my name's Chuck. I said, you know, what's going on? I could see the steam rolling out of his vehicle. I noticed he had a new alternator on there, too. He had some problems there. And, and I said, uh, where are you headed? He said, we're headed to Marion. Um, he said, I just need some water. I said, you, you want to let your engine cool down before you pull the cap? You know, just small talk and thinking, maybe God wants me to talk to this guy. And, and so... I said, I really don't have any water. I, I said, if you just let your car cool down, Marion's only 13 miles down the road. You could probably make it. And uh, anyhow, I said, um, I wish I could help you out. And, and he said, thanks. And I, and I said, God bless you. I'm leaving, going back to my car, or my, my SUV jumped in. And I said, you know what? I just feel like, and let's see if we can go find some water. Let's see. Yeah, he didn't know I was coming back. So jumped in my Explorer, started heading south on 15. As I'm driving south on 15, I prayed. Because we didn't have any water, didn't know anybody, didn't have a container. I mean, we had 12 ounces. So I prayed this prayer like you have. Dear God, you are the God of the universe. God, you can do things that are far beyond us. I pray, God, that somehow 
that you will provide a container, something that we can put water in, some way that only you can do to show that you are real, that you want us to help this guy out. Please, God, would you do something like that? Jesus' name, amen. So immediately, you know, our eyes are like, okay, what's, what's going to happen? No exaggeration. Seven seconds. Driving down the road, and I look to my left, and there's this train track that goes north and south on 15. It was about 50 feet off of the road. And as train tracks are, there's stones that are packed along the side of the train track. And I looked to my left. I am not kidding you. I looked, and there was a one-gallon orange juice container with a lid on it. We just looked in. And you go. <laughs> Still had the cap on it. Had this much orange juice. I mean, how often do you even see a one-gallon jug of orange juice? Pulled off the road, ran, did a U-turn, jumped out, ran across there, dumped out the orange juice and realized, God wants me to help this man out somehow. I mean, it's like Ann was saying, she thought she'd be a guy with a hose with a bucket standing in the yard and we'd stop and get the bucket. <laughs> You know, when you believe that God can provide, you look for those things. So I got out and grabbed this orange juice container, opened up the lid, dumped it in, and I said, now we need water. So I said, well, let's just go north, first house, and find a place to get some orange juice. Now, meanwhile, I'm thinking, you know, God's, God's up to something. Two things, one of which, either he just wants to see if we're willing and obedient because he judges the hearts and intents of our hearts, the desires of our hearts. So pull up the road, first house, and I said, well, there's a house, a bunch of cars. I'll just go in there, pull in the driveway, and there's a guy working on a car. And I said, hey, dude, I said, name's Jim. His vehicle broken down up the road. I said, I know you don't know me, but hey, can I have some water? He said, sure. So he walked in his kitchen, put some water in. So we're excited. We're like, this guy's going to get saved. You know, just like, we're going to tell this grandiose story. You know, I'm just thinking, you know, this is, this is going to be like third chapter of my book. You know, just, just you know, just God has, you know, so we pull away, and, and I even said to Ann, I said something like that. I said, you know, either God just wants to see if we're willing to be obedient because he judges the intents of our hearts, or this dude's going to be up the road, and we're going to pull off the road, and then we're going to tell him this story. Hey, we prayed, and there it was. And he's going to go, oh, he's going to say, Jesus. You know, just. <laughs> Anyhow, we're going north, and, you know, I just, it's that you can't wait moment, you know, just like we're going north, and. Keep going north, and I'm looking up the road, and man, I think it was up here somewhere, and we soon came to the spot where the vehicle was supposed to be, and it wasn't there. Now, in that moment, I could have been very disappointed. Another thought occurred to me as I was there, and Hebrews talks about us entertaining angels in disguise. Could have been that. So we kept this jug on the floor of the passenger seat the whole way home thinking, must be someone else. <laughs> Eyes wide open, looking for opportunities. And Ann and I realized as we got home that God wanted to see if we were willing to be obedient and listen to the Spirit. You know, I don't know why that guy's vehicle was, wasn't there, and I, I don't know if it possibly could have been an angel that we entertained in disguise, which I've told you before, I felt I've had those encounters. But here's what I know. I didn't let that moment be an interruption for where I was supposed to go. I could have very easily, and I have done hundreds of times. Some reason God wanted, and so we thought about it. Maybe that guy just needed to know that someone cared about him. Maybe someone needed to know that God loves him when I said, God bless you. 
And I think in our world today, there are people all along the way as we're rushing to church, as we're rushing to work, as we're rushing to the Goshen baseball game today, as we're rushing to the fair, as we're standing in the parking lot practicing for the interlude that we're going to do along the way every 50 feet. It's going to rock. Make sure you're part of it. As we're, as we're being part of that, there are these people who pass us in the dark like two ships in the night, and we don't have time for them. Jesus had time for this woman, even though he was headed in a different direction. And watch what happens after he encounters her. Look at verse 26. It says, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew what? When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his what? His cloak. Now stop and imagine this for a second. Just think about this second. We're adults here, men and women here. This woman was bleeding for 4,360 straight days. Not just one week in the month. This bleeding went on for 12 continuous years. Imagine the weariness that she felt. Imagine the constant washing of clothes. Imagine the tireless nights, the first month, the first year. Imagine scanning the internet for help. Imagine reading medical journals from Jerusalem looking for a cure. Imagine the travel expenses to the Jerusalem clinic. Imagine the debt collectors knocking at her door. Imagine the sense of desperation that she felt. And there was no cure available. Now imagine Jesus is supposed to go there. She encounters him, touches him in the crowd, and he has a choice to make. Will he continue or will he stop and minister to this woman? The text says in verse 26 that she suffered under the care of doctors for a very, very long time, and it cost her a lot. And instead of getting better, she got worse. 12 years, broke, bankrupt. By the way, no one was allowed to be near her either. The Jewish law of the day said if she touched anyone, they would be unclean. So she didn't have anyone near her that could touch her or love her. In fact, the Jewish Talmud that was very available to her at that time would have all kinds of remedies that she would have tried. Many said things like this. Use garden crocuses dissolved in wine. Sawdust from a lotus tree mixed with curdled milk on a hair. Ashes from an ostrich egg worn around the neck in a linen bag. None of these were FDA approved. (laughs) Yet, I'm sure she tried them all, just hoping someone would notice her. And for 12 years, she was on the island of misfits, ostracized, just longing for love and grace. Please, someone notice me and love me and help me. Needless to say, she probably tried all these. Can you feel her desperation? 12 years of hoping for a new cure. She was hopeless, she was lonely, she was separated, yet, and it kept getting worse. Then it says this. Verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, you know, she pondered, if I just touch his clothes, I will be what? Healed. It says this in verse 29, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. 
Immediately when she touched Jesus, it says the bleeding stopped. Now listen, if you have bled for 12 straight years, you knew when it stopped. Prior to that, says she just wished she could get near Jesus. She had heard that he was in the area, and, and it was just—it was a reasonable request, wasn't it? You see, she was considered the woman that was unclean. Imagine for a second to go twelve birthdays without a hug. Imagine not one kiss on your cheek from someone you love. Imagine your own kids, if she had them, couldn't even come near you. Imagine as her dreams for marriage being swept away by this blood thing. Imagine zero embraces when you found yourself aching in pain and the condition worsened. Imagine as she watched a mother and child holding hands as they walked in the park. Guys and gals, she went 4,360 straight days without a touch from anyone. In fact, if she would have touched someone, they would have been stoned because of the Jewish law of the day. And so would have she been stoned. So every day she remained on this island of misfits, hoping that a remedy would come, that she could be loved and cured. Leviticus 15.25 tells us that she was untouchable. And yet we have untouchables in our society today. You'll see them today. And maybe they're in this room today and they're just coming to grace and saying, I just hope that somehow that my past felony doesn't ostracize me, that my past or present drug habit doesn't ostracize me, that my past marriage that I blew up and the new one that I'm in doesn't cause me to be an outcast. I just want to be loved. Maybe they're in the row with you today here or in the link and they're just wondering, how are you looking? Maybe it's a former high school person that you went with and you know their story and you know that they walked away from their family and you know that there were drugs involved and you know and you know and you know and you're going to see them today how will you look at them if Jesus is in you you'll look at him with love and grace we've created our own little list too and it's we have our own categories you know felons and drug addicts and adulterers and homosexuals. And and here's what breaks my heart. Many Christians scream, show less grace and more morality. So we put them on one side of the street and us on the other. This way of life calls us back to the Old Testament and Jesus came to set us free and abolish the law People need grace. Let me, tell you, let me tell you something, Christ followers. If you don't get anything, get this. You will never hate someone to Jesus Christ. Never. I'm not talking about condoning sin. Sin is sin. I'm talking about extending some grace to someone who's longing to find Jesus Christ and has never met love. This week I was at Momentum Youth Conference, and if you're a Christian and you like Christian music, and you would know the name Steve Fee and Fee Band. Three years ago, I was speaking at the Momentum Youth Conference, and, and as I was going there, I was on the, uh, Steve, the Fee Band was leading worship with me, and we, you know, we interacted, you know, those kind of things that you do with the speaker. And, and I was coming to speak that night, and he was leading the teens in worship. 
But prior to that week, the information got out, and so I had already prepped a message, and I was thinking, I really, this is what I want the teens to know and hear about. And so I had prepped three or four or five weeks before this, and I was coming to this Momentum Youth Conference to talk about sexual immorality to remain pure. Had it all together and thinking, pray that God would use it. And so when I came into this, this arena, I met with the people that were there, and um, they said, by the way, uh, uh, Steve Fee won't be here tonight because of this because he was involved in a, an adulterous relationship with someone else. It was devastating. It blew, by the way, that was just blew me away, and I, I felt this pain for this man who, who has a gift to lead worship, and I was just ticked because the devil had sidelined someone again. So anyhow, they come out, and they announced that day that the fee band wouldn't be here, and actually, Pastor Jeremy led worship the rest of that conference, did a phenomenal job, as he did this week. So I walk out, after them getting that information that day with this message about sexual immorality, (laughs) that I had no idea that this announcement was going to be given. You talk about a captive audience. Steve Fee has been sidelined for about three years. You know, obviously, he went back to his local church, North Point Andy Stanley's church, and, and they walked him through a process of restoration. It's been a long, ongoing process. And so... The directors of Momentum Youth Conference decided that they would invite Steve Fee back to lead worship. It's his first time back, by the way, to lead in a public way. I think he's done some in his church. but So we're staying at the bed and breakfast where speakers stay and, and the band stays. And the Fee band is staying where we are. And so anyhow, he showed up the night that I was in the green room. Walked in and there's Steve. You know, I, I know him. I've talked to him. I don't know him like I know you, but... We've been on the same platform. He knows my name. I know his name. He walked in, and so Ed Lewis is talking to him. He said, hey, we'd like to interview you and just tell us what God has done in your life and what's going on and how, you know, that restoration has taken place. And I'll never forget what he said as he's talking. Ed was saying, we'd like to do a Q&A. How about if I ask, are you okay? He said, Ed, you ask me anything. He said, I'm not here to make me look good. I'm here to make God look good. So they brought him out and did this interview, and they did an interview, you know, about, and he talked about the, 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 the consequences of sin, and there's been some damage there that he can't repair. So Sean McDowell was there. Josh McDowell's son was, did a message on pornography that night, captive audience. Steve led worship, and right before he was going out, I walked into the room after leaving the green room. I opened up the door, and I said, hey, dude, I just want to let you know. I got your back. I want to let you know, man. I love you, dude. And I'm so glad that God restored you. And I'm so glad that you had a repentant heart. I said, go lead these teens to Jesus Christ. So he went out and he led worship. That night, after he led worship, he got to the end. He's singing a song on grace. And it was a powerful moment by the evening because the kids were captive. We saw a real story of restoration. And as we're leaving the, the auditorium, I noticed over there all by themselves was this couple that was all by themselves. It was, they were there was no one around, and we were up in the balcony, and there was no one around, and I know this couple. They have a story where the husband wasn't faithful. They're standing there hearing this story, and they've been brought to restoration. It's about a year process. So as we're leaving, I'm walking out, and I look to my right, and there's this guy that I know. I know his story. I'm thinking, holy cow, he's here tonight. And the spirit of God says, Jim, Stop. 
It's like, no, I got to get here. I'm tired. It's, it's 1130. I've been up since 4 a.m. And just, I'm tired. I'm tired. I just, I don't need this distraction. The Spirit says, Jim, go minister to that person. So I, I worked my way down. We're, they're finishing up some announcements. And he's standing there. It's dark. And I tapped him on the shoulder. And he turned around. And I just reached around and hugged him. I said, dude, I love you. God does too. Tears just started streaming down his face. His wife was holding on, tears streaming down her face. I said, I'm so glad that you're here tonight. I left and I got home that night. I went back to the bed and breakfast and I noticed there was this message in Facebook and I opened up this message on Facebook and it said this short sentence from this individual. He said, your hug, your eyes, your love, thanks, just thanks. I wonder how many other people just need I wonder how many of us have pushed them aside because of all this junk. I wonder if we haven't created an island of misfits on our own with people. Jesus had time for this woman. And by the way, this woman couldn't even go to God and ask for help in the temple because she was ostracized from the temple. It was her last chance. She was weak, she was anemic, she was broke, and she went all in, she went for broke because the passage says this, says that the crowd was pressed around him. In other words, pressed in English means there was bunches of them close to Jesus. She knew that she wasn't supposed to touch anyone. And if she touched anyone, they could be unclean and she could be stoned dead on the spot. But for her, it was like, I want love. It's all or nothing. If Eusebius, the historian, is correct when he talks about this woman, it says that she traveled 30 miles from Caesarea to Capernaum. She walked 30 miles. This was in any way her last resort. This is where she got the unction to do what she did. It was like, God, if you're not real, this is my last chance. It's like, it's those last chance moments that we have and we walk through life and say, okay, God, this is it. It's, you, better, you better show up because this is my last chance. And I bet in this room and I bet in the link and across the internet, there are people saying, God, just bring me someone. I need to know that you're real. And know what? We could be those people. Scripture tells us that Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He had compassions for the people. She was brave enough to walk through a busy, crammed crowd after walking 30 miles. It was her last chance of hope to be healed. And Jesus had an appointment. (laughs) Would he be distracted by it? Look what happens. Verse 29 tells us that immediately the bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And then it Verse 30 says this, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who, what, my clothes, touched my clothes. The message in Eugene's paraphrase says it this way, Jesus felt energy discharging from him. In other words, he felt zap, zap. He felt that something was zapped. He empowered her. 
That is exactly what grace does for people. Yesterday morning, as we were going back to uh, the office of Momentum and we were leaving, I had a young boy come up to me, and, and you know, it just happens sometimes we're places like that. Hey, it's Jim Brown. I want to talk to you. And he says, hey, hey, Jim Brown. Hey, Jim Brown. I was tired. <laughs> I want to get out of there. I was, you know, I'd get back and get ready for this. And this young boy came up to me. I said, hey, dude, what's up? He said, hey, my name's Carlos. And he said, can I tell you my story? I said, you sure can. And he began to tell me this story. He says, I want to tell you what God did for me. I want to tell you. He said, I listened to that message last night, and I heard this, and I heard the fee story. And I'm going to tell you how much God loves me. I said, well, let me hear this story. I knew God wanted me to hear this story. He said, I didn't know God. I was a teenager and I was far away from God. And he said, I didn't, in fact, I didn't even know if God was real. And he said, but I knew there had been people who had talked about God. He said, my dad was a physical man who beat me up. He said, I often got beat. He would slam my head into the floor. This guy's only about this tall and he lives in Florida. And he said, he would constantly hit me with his fist and kick me. And he said, I didn't know what to do with that. He said, I didn't know where to go to. And he said, I didn't believe that there was a God. And he said, so really, I just let him beat me up. And then, and then I would fight back and hopefully he didn't kill me. And he said, one night my dad had me down on the floor and he said, he was beating me and punching me and pounding me in the face. And he said, I couldn't get up. He was stronger than me. He was giving me uppercuts and kneeing me. And, and he said, there was this moment in time. He said, let me just tell you, he said, it was like my last hope. He thought, I thought I was going to die. So I said to him, I said, God, he said, the boy said, I said, God, if you're real, help me. He said, here's the words. He says, I didn't even know where those prayers were going. Because I didn't know where prayers went. I just knew they were, it was sent for me. So I prayed this prayer, God, if you're real, help me. He says, here's what happened. He said, as this, my dad was punching me, he said, hitting me and jamming my head into the floor. He said, when I prayed that prayer, he said, I felt this unusual love for my dad. He says, I reached up and I just hugged him. He was punching me and I was holding on to him. He said, I didn't want to fight back. I just wanted to love him. I just, just wanted to hold him. And he said, he kept kneeing me. And I just, he said, just held on, just... Dad, I love you. Dad, I love you. Dad, I love you. He said, in that moment, I realized something, that that's when Jesus became real to me. He said, all of a sudden, I had this love and grace that I never had before. Boy, it was I had to step back from that. I wondered, is that the kind of love and grace that we have? Or do we want to fight back? Or push him over on the island? He said, eventually, my dad just had to let go because... What do you do with someone that's loving you when you're beating the snot out of them? Let me just say this again. I bet, if we're really honest, we like judging people. And we have these little lists and categories. Maybe it's just tattoos the whole way around their bodies. And, oh, that's one of them. And what would happen if we just extended grace I really think people are afraid of grace. We somehow think that if we give grace, we've done something wrong. <laughs> Seriously, I've talked to people like that. Well, you know, it's, I just want to be careful that I'm afraid that if, if I give them grace, that somehow it's sin. And like, like I, I pushed it too far. Let me tell you something. Grace isn't sin. <laughs> and if you've got to compute a reason why to give it, then it's not Grace. 
And if you're expecting someone to measure up or do something good before they get it, it's not grace. Grace doesn't make sense. Grace causes us to hug someone that's wanting to kill us. Many of us don't even know how to give grace. And we, we get angry at people and we judge them. They've done something wrong to us and we stop communicating with them. We shut them down and we feel, I feel better about it. And we push them away. Look what happens to the disciples. In verse 31, after she, Jesus asked the question, who touched my clothes? Verse 31 says, you see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched my clothes? And they're being sarcastic. You know, like, Jesus, there's like 450 million people near you. Who touched your clothes? You know, there's those moments, you know, and, by the way, I'm just like them, where you don't want to call them disciples, you want to call them the disciples. It's just... <laughs> Verse 32 says that, but, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Verse 33, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. You know why she was trembling with fear? Don't lose sight of this. Because if society found out, if the Jewish law found out that she touched someone, she could be stoned. But to her, it was worth just 10 minutes of not bleeding, of 10 minutes of no longer suffering. To her, it was worth 10 minutes of grace. Oh, and I wonder how many people want that kind of grace. And so Jesus asked, and she, the, the pastor says, she told the whole story. Let me tell you something. You know why Jesus asked her to tell the story? Because there were thousands around him that were hushed. When Jesus spoke, people were quiet. He wanted them to know and see that, guess what? Even though the law says don't touch this woman, I touched her because she needs love. And there's a lot more women like this that you need to love. Then he tells her this. Look what he says to her in verse 34. It says in verse 33 that she was trembling with fear and told him the whole truth. Because she thought at any second she might die. He said to her, look at the sweet word that he calls her. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. For the first time she heard tender words. (laughs) No one spoke to an outcast or a misfit. And then she hears that tender word that a father says, baby, honey, Hannah, come here. Daddy loves you. Daughter, go and be free of your suffering. Can you imagine? 12 years? Wait a minute. What'd you say, Jesus? Go, sister. Go, daughter. Be free of your suffering. For the first time, she wasn't on the island. For the first time, she was loved. For the first time, she got grace. For the first time, she saw unconditional love and grace, and it radically changed her life. And there was no reason for her to hide anymore. See, here's what happens. People who have passed, we all have passed. They spend most of their lives hiding their stories with fear that if people knew, then they would judge me. Listen, Christians, 
we got some work to do. We, of all people who are call ourselves Christians, should be extending grace, shouldn't immediately judge. And I wonder in that moment, as people all across the world were watching Steve Fee talk, I wonder how many Christians said, yeah, but, we'll just see, yeah, but, or just said, praise God for grace. By the way, rabbis, which Jesus was, weren't supposed to talk to women in public. (laughs) Jesus broke that custom too. Maybe for the first time, this woman felt loved and belonged to a family. It had been years since someone acknowledged her in a tender way. I have friends right now that come to Grace Community Church who are labeled as felons from the past. Doggone it, I love them just as much as I love everyone else. And I let them know that. Because guess what? Grace covers our sins. And I don't hold that against a person. But here's the problem. Most Christians do. And many people live in fear that somehow if someone finds out that I was this before, that I was that before, what would happen if we just accepted people and the grace that can cover their past and said, sister and brother, Jesus loves you and I do too and I will not judge you. Well, I'll tell you what would happen. Goshen and the entire community would be saved. (laughs) The early church has a name for this woman, history. We don't know for certain, but at least history records a similar story, and her name is Veronica. The legend is cloaked in some mystery, so you can't connect the dots completely, but they're pretty close. In fact, when Jesus walked on Golgotha to Calvary, The story goes that she followed alongside and wiped his brow as the blood dripped from him because she had been ministered to. She wanted to give it back to her Savior. In fact, the Catholics have a tradition. I don't say that we practice this, but they do, and here's why. They have a day called Veronica, St. Veronica's Day, feast day, and happens every July 12th. But here's what we know from this passage. The woman was healed by Jesus. In fact, when he finished this, he went and he healed Jairus' daughter too. Oh, by the way, he broke the law and the custom of that day too by touching touching a dead corpse. (laughs) Grace is dangerous. And our world is hungry for grace. Jesus is well acquainted with bleeding, by the way. Somewhere today is is someone who thinks they're not worth rescuing. This story and this woman reminds us that people are worth rescuing. You see, when hopelessness and grace collide, life emerges. Maybe you need to go and set someone free. Maybe you're the one holding something against someone because they wronged you in some way. Maybe you're quick to judge what would happen if we just gave them grace.
Lord, help us today. I know there's people in this room and in the link that are scared to death to tell their story because of what someone might think. We need to put it into that God. And I know today that there will be people who will interrupt our lives because we want to see the float and we want to get our candy corn and we want to get on that ride and I got to get a seat at the Vesper service. And they're standing on the fringes like this woman was, hoping that they can touch someone's shoulder so that they can be freed. Oh God, open our eyes. We are so stinking selfish. Grace can be scandalous at times. Jesus, I pray that Grace Community Church would be a place where we tell our stories and we give you the credit and that people knock down the doors because they heard that Jesus saves. May there never be a misfit Allen in this community. May we never create another one and may we walk to the Allen today with the grace of Jesus Christ. Oh God, may we never say again that I'm not willing to give grace. May we initiate it. May we throw away our hammers and our judging spirits. May we create an island of safety that people want to run to instead of run from. Thank you, Jesus, for repentance and restoration and Steve Fee's stories. Thank you for the Carlosis in the midst of being attacked by his dad, reaching out and all he knew is, I need to love him. May we understand grace in the fresh way and live it out. In Jesus' name, amen.